You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning again. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to take a respite from the series of Luke, and we're going to do a mini-series, a Christmas series. We've entitled The Real Christmas, but we're going to do our best to connect the book of Isaiah, which really is the gospel of Isaiah, the prophet who talks most about the Messiah, and Luke has always uh, promoted Jesus as the Messiah. But with that said, let me start with uh, just something that I stumbled across this past week. A few years ago, the BBC, which is the British Broadcasting Company, published a documentary that was called The World's Top Ten Richest Songs. These were the highest grossing songs ever recorded. And what I found amazing about these songs is three out of the top ten songs were Christmas songs. So let's go on a journey. In 1934, two fellas, Haven Gillespie and J. Fred Coots, in about 30 minutes' time, wrote a song for kids, and that's what they were commissioned to do. The song is, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. As of this date, it's made $27 million for the writers and continues to get royalties to 2029. So every time you hear in the mall, Santa's coming to town, guess what? They get rich. The second song was written in 1934 by a Jewish jazz musician by the name of Mel Torme. Some of us know that name. It's called The Christmas Song. Do you know how it goes? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your, not with a mask on. Now, what I found interesting about that is that song was written in the summer, in the heat of the day. How interesting. It has grossed today well over $20 million. However, the second highest grossing single in the world has made $100 million to date. It was written in 1940 by another Jewish immigrant from Russia by the name of Irving Berlin and sung by Bing Crosby. What's the name of the song? Anybody know? I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. How many of you are like into white Christmases? Just about three. All right. So now here's the question this morning. Have you discovered like I have that songs have power and move us? Have you experienced songs that get stuck in your mind and loop over and over and over again? Maybe I'm weird, but that's me. We were hiking Zion National for four days, Ellen and I, and we walked too much. It was majestic, highly recommended. But there were times when you're spending eight hours, just four hours in, four hours out, 40,000 steps, you know, it just gets a little bit boring, right? But what I found is, as I was walking, continuously, songs were coming to mind. Some were Christmas that I just heard 
in the mall or in a restaurant. Some were worship songs. Some were back to the, you know, classics of the 60s and 70s. Songs stick. Songs have an impact. And I would contend even today that songs have the ability to change lives. And Nate Heemstra said, where is the guy? Dude walks out of me. I get up here preaching, and Nate Heemstra's team says, amen, amen. It was the Scottish writer, Andrew Fletcher, who put it this way. Let me write the songs of a nation. Then I do not care who writes the laws. He believed that songs have impacts. Now, this perspective about songs sets the stage for our passage this morning. And yes, I spent some time to orient you, but I want you to know something. Isaiah chapter 9 is incredibly important in messianic history, in biblical truth, in connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament. As Jesus shows up as a baby in a manger and they're saying, wow, the Messiah is here. As we go to Luke 4 and Jesus is preaching in Nazareth, and what does he say? Isaiah 61, today this is fulfilled in your midst. Isaiah 9 is a messianic chapter, but friends, it's not a letter. It's not a story or a narrative or a vision. It is a song. And it is a song focusing in on four things. Number one, God's great governance. Number two, God's great guarantee. Number three, his great gift, as we're going to talk about leading up to Christmas. And then number four is great glory, as we'll unpack on Christmas Eve service. So I hope you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9. Let's uh, turn there. Let's stand together. Let me read Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, a song of hope. A song of hope in the midst of dark days. And so we read, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he, God, humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. And what he's referring there to is when God humbled the ten northern tribes of Israel, how he brought pagan Assyria to overcome them and discipline them because of their sin. Now, look at this beautiful promise. But in the future, he, God, will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land of the east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. And this is the projection of what we've seen in Luke all along, that it's a gospel for all people. It's a gospel for the marginalized. It's a gospel for the broken. It's the gospel for everyone, tax collectors and chief tax collectors, lepers and outcasts unlike what Judaism was promoting. And then notice, the people walking in darkness, and this is the beautiful picture, have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You, God, have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you, God, and they rejoice at harvest time as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Do you see the beautiful thing as the Messiah comes? There's light dawning. There's great joy. Darkness is being dispelled. And then continuing... For you, God, have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you, God, did on the day of Midian. Remember that, the day of Midian? 
taking the armies of Israel from 30,000 troops down to 300. Why? So we will stand in awe of God. The battle is the Lord's. That's what we're talking about. This is God showing up. This is redemption uh, by the Lord. For the trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. And now this beautiful, beautiful picture. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And notice the glory of God here. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. He will be named Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of who? King David, 2 Samuel 7, 14, the great promise of the Messiah and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it. How? With justice and righteousness. And notice this, folks, from now on, and forevermore. This is the king coming. This is the Messiah Luke has been talking about. And then notice who's accomplishing all this to the glory of God. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Please be seated. Now at Westwind Church, we say this all the time, and it's just foundational to understand the word of God. Context is king. Say that with me. Right. And what that means is we have to surround this passage with the literal context of the day. So put on your thinking caps for a moment. Let me take you on a journey of context. The prophet Isaiah is writing about 700 years before Jesus the Messiah shows up. The prophet is lifting up what we've already determined to be a song of hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of difficulty, distress, and please hear me, discipline. Why such dark days? Because God chose a pagan nation, Assyria, to lovingly discipline his people, Israel, the ten northern tribes. Why? They lived sinfully. They lived idolatrous. Folks, when you study the Old Testament, and when Israel was divided, 10 tribes to the north, two in the south, Judah, there was not one righteous king ever in the northern tribes of Israel, not one. Not even a taste of righteousness. And so God disciplines. He uses a pagan nation. But the real question that surfaces is this, and it's always a question for God's people back then and now. How would Israel respond to God's loving discipline? In other words, Israel, like all of us, have a daily choice to make. Would they turn to God or turn to self? Would they choose his light and glory or continue to walk in darkness and despair? Now, I'm sad to say Israel didn't return, and I want to show you something. Again, context is king. Look back just a few verses to Isaiah chapter 8 verses 21 and 22, and I'm just giving you a little synopsis of what's going on here. Really, you could read chapter 7 and 8 of Isaiah and get the big picture, but this gives you a summary of how Israel responded. They, meaning the nation of Israel, will wander through the land dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become estranged, and looking upward, what will they do? They will curse their king and their God. 
Friends, those are hard words. Think it through. They look upward towards heaven and they curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, only darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. In my opinion, that is one of the saddest commentaries in all of Scripture on the nation of Israel. God chose them. God loved them deeply. He called them to be his own, a favored people, a covenant people. And yet time and time again, they turned from the Lord. They didn't live in a manner worthy of the gospel. They didn't honor the name of Yahweh. And they lived idolatrous. Every person, as Judges says, did what was right in their own eyes. And so look at this passage. When they were famished, what happens? Instead of being broken and bowing before the Lord of heaven and praying God were needy, they were enraged. They were ticked off against God. When looking upward, they had the opportunity to praise their God and King. However, they just did the opposite, and they cursed God their King. I can't imagine that. Being a called out people, being a chosen people of God, and living like that. When God offers light, they opted for darkness. Now you don't need me to persuade you that darkness is real in the 21st century, and certainly it's even real in the church, folks. All you have to do is watch the news, consult a website or social media, or read a newspaper. By the way, does anybody read a newspaper anymore? Yeah, one or two? Okay, Dave, way to go. Can I have your old copies, please, to save a little bit? Or simply just look around. Aren't these dark days? And folks, it was dark back then. And what is God calling his people to do to return from them? When we think about the church, folks, and I've been in pastoral ministry for 35 plus years, and sometimes it breaks my heart. Why? Because the world seems to invade the bride of Christ, a bride that is supposed to adorn their garments, beautiful, preparing for the bridegroom's return. And so when a small congregation like Westwind Someone knows the experience of the pain of divorce or surviving abuse. Someone knows the reality of how anxiety cripples us. Someone knows the certainty of needing to heal from bitterness resulting in past hurts. Someone knows the actuality of losing a battle to addiction. Yes, darkness and sin is real, but please realize sin is not something that's just out there. Do you know where sin originates? It originates in here, folks. It originates in our hearts. Now, in Christ, of course, you're giving a new heart, right? But the Bible is very clear that the flesh wages war against the spirit, the spirit wages war against the flesh, and that fleshly side of our heart will always be in battle for spiritual realities. I was thinking back to a concert that I've watched numerous times. It's a Live Aid concert that took place in 1985. You may be familiar. And the concert closed in a very interesting way. All the premier artists got together and they sang the anthem of the day. Do you remember the anthem of the day way back when? We are the world. And here's the words. We are the world. 
We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. Now, folks, I'm all for people trying to contribute. I'm all for people doing their parts and being generous. That's not the point here. But on the stage that day was Bob Dylan, and he looked distraught when he was singing that song. Afterwards, some reporters interviewed him and said, Bob, as you were singing that song, we are the world, we are the answer to the world's problems. You just didn't look like you were with it. And here's what Bob Dylan said. Bob Dylan, quote, he says, humankind cannot save itself. We're trying, but we need a source, a resource beyond ourselves. It can't start or end with us. Guess what, folks? Bob Dylan got it right. And that's what God wanted Israel to know. He wanted to dispel their darkness. He wanted to bring them the light of the glorious gospel. And so the real message, or at least in part, the real message of Christmas is this. In order to walk in the light, we need a source outside of ourselves. And that's what we're going to get to this morning. So what do we do? Or better yet, what has God done? That's the point this morning. So look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And this is a beautiful, beautiful start as we launch this mini-series. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. This is a big word, although it seems so insignificant. My translation says, nevertheless. And friends, when you see words like that in Scripture, it's a hinge word. All of this mess is going on. Assyria is coming. God's people are, are, are living like pagans. They're cursing God. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. Guess what? Nevertheless, God shows up. Nevertheless, God has a plan. Nevertheless, from eternity past, Jesus Christ is slain from the foundation of the world, and he is going to come as the Messiah, as the healer. So stick with me. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Key word here, verse 2. But... In the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The song of Isaiah 9 opens with a word of hope to a despairing and broken people. Nevertheless, God says, please don't miss this, folks. I'm promising you today a better future, regardless of yesterday, regardless of the messes of yesteryear. Regardless that you have cursed me, you've walked in the ways of the world, regardless of what you've done, here's what I'm going to do. I have a plan. I have a better future. There's hope to come. Israel, turn to me. That is the message. Now, what is the better future? The better future is God is going to raise up a king who will sit on the throne of David, as we've discovered throughout Luke, a Messiah who will ensure God's ultimate and future plan and victory will transpire. Now, when will that happen? Skip on down to first, verse 6. Verse 6 is key. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. 
He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Fast forward to the New Testament. You know who this son is? You know who this child is? If you could flip over to Matthew 1, 23, let me show it to you. It is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In Matthew 1, 23, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, 14, which is a core messianic verse, and we read this. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to who? A son. And they will name his name Emmanuel, which translates, God is with us. And so Isaiah is the messianic prophet. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of discipline, God has a plan of hope. And he gives this song for the future. A Messiah is going to come. He's going to sit on the throne of David. A new day is dawning. And so that leads us to our blessing this morning, and the blessing is this. By embracing the rulership of Christ in our lives, each one of us can experience the real Christmas. And so let's dive in here and just look at one key concept, the rulership of Christ. Now, you might be wondering, why did I hone in on rulership? It's a very beautiful concept in this passage. Please look again at verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and notice this, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now, we can read that in English, and it sounds a little bit like he's going to be a political ruler. It's just the opposite. The Hebrew word for government literally means rulership, his rulership in our lives. It literally means authority, Christ's authority leading our lives. It literally means dominion, God's dominion and oversight in our lives. Folks, do you realize this for the vast part of Israel's history, that's what they rejected. God called them to be a people unto himself. He called them to be a precious nation, a covenant people. And time and time again, they rejected his rulership. They rejected his authority. They rejected his dominion. And yet, we have another promise that day is coming. When the governance of Christ, he'll sit on the throne of David and he will rule and we can submit to his rulership. And what a blessing that will be. Now, when we do that, everything changes in our life. Look at verse 2. Notice the beautiful result. The people walking in darkness, he's literally referring to Israel, but folks, don't miss this. He's referring to all people at all times in all places. The people walking in darkness have seen what? A great light. This is Jesus. I am the light of the world. A light has dawned on those living in the lands of darkness. And so that's the hope we have. I read an article some time ago about the psychology of light that I found very interesting. Did you know that physical light increases the serotonin levels in our body and makes us feel more upbeat, calm, and focused. It is a fact that on sunny days, people tend to be more optimistic and, yes, even productive in life. So if you want to be more positive, if you're a glass-half-empty kind of person, move to Florida, head to Hawaii, get more sun, and you'll just be more pleasant, I think. 
Now, here's the key. Just like there's physical benefits of sunlight, there are also spiritual benefits of walking in His light. And so this morning, I want to wrap up with some application points, and I want to wrap up with some challenges for all of us. So three benefits this morning in closing. Number one, and it's beautiful, folks. We do not have to walk in darkness because of Christ. That is a great benefit. Let me share with you John 8, 12. When Jesus is governor, when Jesus is Lord of our life, when he is ruling, when he is sitting on the throne of our heart, here's what happens. He says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. But guess what? We'll have the light of life. Notice the word never. What a blessing to not walk in darkness. I grew up, and I don't know why, and I don't even know why I'm sharing this, but I grew up being afraid of the dark. Anybody with me? Kind of spooky? No? Me and Missy? All right, Missy. Got one friend in the house. I don't know why I grew up just being afraid of the dark. And I remember time and time again, my buddy and I, Billy, we'd be walking the streets of the inner city of Buffalo, and Billy would go one way to his house, I'd go to the other. And here's what we would do. We'd, we'd start and say, ready, go. We would run as fast as we could, and we would shout as loud as we could to make sure each one got to the home safely. Why does darkness do freaky things like that? Is it just me and Missy? Anybody else kind of like the dark thing? You guys are weird this morning. All right. But here's the point. Never walk in darkness. Would you agree there's a lot of darkness out there? And Christ says we can walk in his light as he is in a light. What a beautiful thing. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Folks, I walked in darkness for 19 years. And when I came to Christ at age 19, wow, the light bulb went on. The word of God, the revelation of truth, and all of a sudden, boom, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's hope, there's direction in life. That's what we're talking about. Every day counts. Today really matters. Why? We have the privilege to walk in the light and dispel darkness. Now, the bit of biblical metaphor of walking is everywhere in the New Testament. Let me share one verse. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, analogous to walking in the light, and you will not carry out what? Fleshly desires, those sinful appetites. In fact, Galatians 5, through 23 says, when you walk in the light, when you walk in the Spirit, you're going to be a person who bears much fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. How many of you today want to be married to a person like that? One or two. Missy again. Way to go. Well, here's the deal, folks. I am married to a person like that most of the time. Hey, honey. But that's the gift when we walk in the light. That's the gift when we walk in the Spirit. And that is the radical contrast between the nation of Israel who chose darkness, who chose to curse God, who chose to be a people of gloom and doom. No, we the people of God. We look up and we praise God. We testify of his glory. We are people of the light. What a great way to do life. Second benefit, we will have or experience fellowship with God and with one another. First John 1, 7, a great verse, even that whole chapter to memorize. 
First John says this, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the life, what's going to happen? We're going to fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. Two things are happening there, folks. One, we're going to have fellowship, koinonia with each other. There's going to be intimate relationship. It's not going to be superficial. It's going to be grounded in things that matter, eternal things. We're not just going to talk about the weather or the sports or the stock market. God is going to be at the center, his purposes, his plans, and what he wants to accomplish in and through us, as Tara was talking about, that mission in Matthew 28, to, to be on mission to make disciples of all nations. That's what we're talking about here. You know, two of the six core values of Westwind Church are in that verse. One is relentless prayer. Why do I say relentless prayer? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That means we have intimacy with God. We're confessing our sin regularly. We're looking in the mirror. We're, we're asking God's spirit to convict us concerning our sin. And as we confess, there's a closeness with God. There's a filling of the spirit, Ephesians 5.18. There's intimacy with God. That's one of our core values, relentless prayer, abiding in the word. The second one is authentic community. Fellowship with one another. Friends, I hope you never take that for granted, that we truly have a community of faith. We have the privilege to live the one another's, to serve one another, to pray for one another, to forgive one another, to honor one another, to bless one another, build up one another, and the list goes on and on. What a blessing. That's why at Westwind Church, we place a high premium on life groups, on D groups, on mentoring relationships, both informally and formally. I want to say hello to Marshall and Cheryl Griman out there. I don't do that a lot, but when I first came to town, Marshall said, hey, Keith, why don't we meet every other week, an hour, Panera Bread for informal hang time? I treasured those times, and they only paused because of COVID. Those were times of informal hang time. When you go golfing together, when you're canoeing, when you're doing those things in community, crisis at the center, and it's so important. So creating community, we believe here, is a very intentional thing, but it's grounded in this walking in the light. Now, finally, third benefit, we can let our light shine and influence others for Christ. God wanted Israel to be an influence. How sad for the most part, not completely, but how sad for the most part they didn't accomplish God's mission. Remember Genesis 12, blessed to be a blessing, all nations on earth are going to be blessed. That ultimately happened through Christ, but Israel didn't really become the light God intended. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Please realize that, folks. You are the light of the world, and if you were standing in Galilee where Jesus was teaching, and you look up uh, on the north, you would see a, a hill in the Golan Heights where a city was up there, and the light is just shining, just shining. You've seen it from airplanes. You look down on some of these massive cities. The lights are shining. We're called to be that kind of light, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We would never take a bushel and put it over the candle and, and take the light out. We need that light to just get around the house. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. And so an extension of Christ's glorious light to dispel darkness, 
when Christ's light shines in and through us. You know, we have a privilege at Westwind Church always to be light. And this morning, we have a video that we want to share with you of a couple of our life groups saying yes to engaging our city, serving our city, being light uh, to our community. Let's take a look. Hi, I'm Sean Eikenberry. And I'm Jessica. Um, and our life group meets on Sunday afternoons. Um, we've been talking for a long time about ways to um, just get involved with some different service opportunities. And several of our families have toddlers, so that makes serving um, together as families a little more complex um, than what we were used to in previous years. And so one of the things that's been really awesome for us about the Love Our City initiatives that um, Keith and Jason have put out before us um, was that it gave us some opportunities of things that we could do from afar, but still serve our community. So a couple of weeks ago, we decided to um, fill some backpack snack bags for the Waukee Area Christian Services. Um, and they deliver these little bags to the different elementary schools um, in Waukee. And the kids um, who receive them are often kiddos who maybe couldn't, um, or parents don't, um, or aren't always around on weekends to provide food for them. Um, so as a group, we kind of got together with the list of things that they suggested. We sort of divided it up, um, and then we kind of divided things among the toddlers. So each toddler had um, a set of um, each type of snack that they could put in the bags, and they took their little plastic bags around their kitchen table at home and filled them up with um, each of the snacks. And then they got to tie them up, and um, we put them all in one big pile. And it was a really fun way, um, simple but fun, to engage them and doing something for someone else, um, getting to talk about that there were other kids who would get to benefit from these snacks and just a way to um, start to engage um, their little hearts and minds in what service can be. Hey, how's it going? My name's John. This is my wife, Taya. We're new to the Westwind community. Um, Taya and I both have had the privilege of getting plugged in into a small group right away. and. Coming from college, from a church that was really big in community, we've really enjoyed just plugging in right away. Um, and yeah, we had the opportunity to serve in a really cool project right away, and Taya will tell you more about it. Yeah, so we, our life group and us, obviously, um, pitched in some money to donate groceries for um, people who can't afford it this Thanksgiving season. And it was just so easy to um, take the blessings that God has given us and share those with others. It's so simple to just go to the grocery store, pick up some groceries. And I mean, this year, even with COVID, we didn't even have to get out of the car. We just dropped it off at Waukee Area Christian Services through a drive-through. And it just felt so good to take, um, yeah, like what God has blessed us with and just share that with people in our community and find ways to love our city more. And so I'm just thankful for Westwind and being able to, find those initiatives so easily on the website and get plugged in right away and feel like we're blessing our community this holiday season. Urges you folks. Can I give you one challenge as uh, we approach Christmas? Got an email from Single Parent Provision just over the weekend. Let me put up their logo. 
They do this beautiful, beautiful outreach to our community. Check it out, folks. Please hear me. 1,000 single moms are being ministered to in the next week. 2,000 children are registered. That's 3,000 people in our community being touched by one of our ministry partners, Single Parent Provision. Some of you have already engaged. Thank you. However, as of this weekend, here's what we know. They need 59 more what they call delivery teams. I can't give you all the details on the delivery team, but I can do this. Direct you to our website. Direct you to Single Parent Provision. Maybe some of you just feel led in the coming week to participate in uh, the single parent provision, support these 1,000 moms, 2,000 kids, these families who just need the Lord. So check that out if you would. Let me read to you 1 Peter 2.9 in closing. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Truly, that's a picture of Israel, what they were supposed to be, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race. But for the most part, they fell short. How about the church? Do you look at that beautiful call today? God called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. I know the dark side of life, guys. And then I see how bright the light truly can shine because of Christ. Let's live as Christ is calling us. Live to these beautiful benefits. Think about it. We have the privilege to walk in the light, have fellowship with one another and with God. That's intimacy through prayer and his word. That's intimacy in community. We have the privilege to walk by the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that means to live fruitfully, being people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. We have the privilege to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And I see this happening time and again. The videos are two demonstrations of the work of Christ in and through you. So thank you. You know, as we look forward to moving into the Westbrook property and we continue to celebrate God's generosity in and through you, boy, oh boy, the light is shining. The light is shining. I had the privilege to talk to the property owner just a few days ago. He's down in Florida, poolside, loving it, <laughs> feeling happy. But he's just so delighted that our partnership worked out. He gave us grace about two months to figure it out, and God figured it out through his people. That's light, folks. That's God's glory shining in and through us. What a thing to celebrate. So let's pray together, then we'll worship, and we'll tie it all together. Father, thank you. Thank you for dispelling darkness through the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Thank you for King Jesus who sits on the throne of David now and forever. Thank you for the Messiah. A child will be born, a son will be given, 
Oh, 700 years prior to Jesus' coming, you forecasted that the Virgin Mary would give birth to our Savior. Thank you. So thank you, Fathers. You've pulled us out of the world and out of darkness. We have the privilege now to shine your light, to be a holy people, a chosen people, a royal people, to testify of God's glory and grace. Help us, Father, we pray, to be that light in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.